Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we're going to be talking about can a child's fate be sealed by age seven? Well, the answer is, I'm going to give you the answer, uh, psychologically that sometimes is true if there has been a lot of trauma um, up until that age, the earliest years are the most impactful, but then again, if you uh, have a good psychiatrist, psychotherapist, it doesn't have to be totally sealed. Um, Now, in terms of education, however, there are some some educators who would label kids and throw them away by age seven as unable to learn. Fortunately, my guest... (laughs) is an example of a mother and an educator who uh, wouldn't take no for an answer, wouldn't believe that her son, uh, Nicholas, was unteachable, and in fact wound up getting him from um, being called unteachable to getting a doctorate from Oxford. So, welcome to the show, Lois. To be here and share the radio with you. Well, we're delighted to have you, and and um, let me make sure that I said I want to make sure that I said your whole name and the book. Uh, she has written a book about this journey that she went on with her son. Her name, her whole name, full name is Lo- Lois Litchford, and the book is called Reversed: A Memoir. Okay, Lois, let's start with um, where you were. Well, actually. I actually would like to start with who you were <laughs> before um, and, and who you are um, before this whole situation started with your son. Where were you living? Were you married? Did you have other children? That kind of thing. Yes. Well, that's a good beginning because, yes, I was married. Uh, we were living in Brisbane, Australia at the time. In fact, you know, in my working life, I'd started as a physical education teacher. And I'd worked for a number of years and then I visited England for a time and when I was in England I met my husband who or my future husband at the time who was also an Australian and he had we had family in the same area oh. in Brisbane. That's nice. And uh-huh. Yes, and what was interesting about my husband was that he was in England on a scholarship. And that told me he was a particularly smart man. Uh-huh. And he and he was. And then we married. He then did his PhD in Oxford. And then the children came mm. along in various stages. And so we were back in Brisbane. He's at the university teaching as a professor. And at the time, you know, due to moving continents and that, I was a stay-at-home mum. And then I sent my children to school and I would have expected that they would have been okay. And the first one was very good and very quick. But I never expected Nicholas to have the journey that he had. Uh Uh-huh. So, okay. So when did um, you or the teachers first note any kind of problem? It was actually quite early on. In Australia, they go from kindergarten to preschool to grade one. And I noticed that Nicholas was always slow with his speech and he took a long time to tell a story. And that was always a concern. And then you say, now, where does this come from? And what happened was that Nicholas had ear infections from age eight months to age 18 months. And you know that affects language, it affects brain growth, it affects brain development, all sorts of things. And I didn't know at the time as a mother the huge impact that has on learning and language development. Uh-huh. Yes, so um, so you were, you were beginning to worry yourself, and then when did you have 
an outside educator tell you that there was a problem? How old was he? When at the end of preschool year, we had him tested because I was a little concerned. And the preschool teacher said, I think he'll be fine. He'll be fine. So we go into grade one and the first week of day one, the first week of school was a disaster. And the teacher saw me at the end of that week and said, oh, he's so far behind. I don't know what I'll do with him. I don't know how I'm going to cope with him in the classroom. Everyone else is progressing, but he's not. And that was the start of an absolutely disastrous year. And so he was at seven at that time. He was six, five and a half years old in grade one, and he turned six. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Okay. Um, so now when he was having these ear, did you say ear infections? Yes. Yes. When, he was, when he, this was happening, did, no doctor told you um, anything about getting, uh, or even, even after that when you were noticing his speech problems, no doctor told you to have speech therapy? We had speech therapy from about age three or four or five, I think. We had speech therapy in there. Uh, uh-huh. And that was huge. That was huge. It taught me a lot as well as teaching him a lot. Speech therapy went on for a number of years. Uh-huh. So that okay. was 19... Yeah. yeah. Well, um, so, but was... So how did you... Well, okay, so tell, I mean, I'm just wondering how... Uh, yes, th- this hearing problems do delay language and so on. Um and I guess speech therapy wasn't alone, wasn't enough to undo all of that. Um, but tell us, instead of me guessing, why don't you tell us what you did do once you had this proclamation from his teacher? Well, that was the start of the year, and the year just got worse, unfortunately. And the teacher shouted at him. Nicholas bit his fingernails, he wet his pants, and I dressed him for school every single day that year. At the end of the year... The diagnostician comes in and does the testing and she confirms he's absolutely hopeless and that the testing showed he could read 10 words. He had no strength for a year in a nutshell. And Nicholas was terrified of, of nearly everything. Uh-huh. Then the, un- the unexpected happens. My husband, as a professor, has study leave. So in 1995, our family heads to Oxford, England, while we had study leave. And we chose Uh to not send Nicholas to school, which he was terrified of all the language and everything new. And I said, do you want to go to school? And his face just went white. So I thought, I'm teaching at home. And that was fine. So I go prepared. I go with a series of books called Success for All. Phonics-based decoding, single words on a page, no pictures, and it was a total disaster. Uh And I ended up being not much better than the teacher at school. My mother-in-law was with me at the time, and she said to me, Lois, make learning fun. I needed to hear those words to stop the failure that was happening and try something totally new. And from there, I mm-hmm. could know two things about Nicholas. I knew that he could rhyme words, and I knew that he could see patterns. He was very good at pattern recognition. So I started with rhyming words, but rhyming words by themselves are no better than anything else. So I put the rhyming words into a little poem, and Nicholas and his grandmother illustrated the poems. And what happened oh, well. was there was a total transformation of emotion in my classroom. I didn't uh-huh. ask Nicholas to read anything. I did the reading. Then he would read with me. Then we would pick out the rhyming words. Then we would play games. And then he did the illustrations. And that was the start of the change. Hmm. So. Okay. And then I met one lady who 
who talked to me over there and she said, here's a series, here's a book that'll help you with decoding. It's been written for dyslexic children. And it was Hear It, See It, Say It, Do It by Mary Atkinson and it was brilliant. It really helped me teach him to decode. So now I've got two things going on. We've got the poems, which is giving the giving him the immersion in language because we're repeating the poems and we're creating pictures all the time and we've got the decoding going on. Now, this is the fun bit. My poems got more and more complex as you go through the language and the letters double O come up and they have the words cook, look and book in them. Now, for normal people, they might think of cooking but for me, in Australia, the words came up with Captain Cook taking a look and writing a book as he completes the mapping of Australia. Uh-huh. Way back in 1770. And, of course, we are in Oxford, England. And the poem was uh, this gap. Captain Cook had a notion. There's a gap in the map in the Great Ocean. He took a look without the help of any book, hoping to find a quiet little nook. So it's, we're walking with Captain Cook, looking at the world through his eyes. And when we did that, uh-huh. we started to ask questions. What was Captain Cook's latest map when he found Australia in 1770? And then Nicholas started to ask questions. He said, and who came mm. before Captain Cook? And I said, oh, that's easy. That's Christopher Columbus. And then he said to me, mm-hmm. and who came for Columbus? And when he said those questions, I knew he didn't have a low IQ. Mm-hmm. And that was my mm-hmm. real driver. So learning was exciting. Teaching him was exciting. And his questions blew me away. And I had tapped into his curiosity and our whole learning experience had totally transformed. So now, let me just ask you a couple of questions. So when, so when, when these, going back to uh, age five, six, and seven, when, he was in, when you were all in Australia, um, what did you say to those teachers um, <sighs> when they were giving you, you know, labeling him and giving you these proclamations about, like, he's never going to amount to anything, um, what did you say to them? In that first year, I didn't say anything. I could see my little boy struggling to go to school, and I didn't say anything. And I sent him to school every single day. I talked to my son about this experience, about first year, and my 30-year-old son has his tongue going round and round in his mouth and tears fell from his face because he could not talk Mm. about the trauma of that first year in school. Mm. Today, I'm really disappointed that no one from the school said, this should not be happening because I didn't know how bad it was. And they had allowed it to go on every single day and there wasn't one change made in that first year of school. Hmm. So they just kept failing him and telling him how stupid he was? Yes. And the teacher shouted at him every day. And so have you since... Have you sent them your book? Yes, I've talked to them. I'll tell you the story a bit further on because that was the first year that was really bad. When we went back to Australia in 1996 and my boy goes back into school, I'm excited about all that we have learned. And And the classroom teacher is brilliant. Second grade teacher was brilliant. And I saw the diagnostician and I said to her, we've had such an exciting time in England. Nicholas has learned so much. And she stood there and she said, well, I've spoken to the reading teacher and she says he's gone backwards. And I 
stuttered and stumbled. And I said, you know, he asked to see Captain Cook's original maps. He asked who came before Captain Cook's. And then she put her hands on her hips and she said, well, he's the worst child I've seen in 20 years of teaching. (gasps) Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay. And then what did you do? Then what did I do? The next step is astounding to me today. That very afternoon, Nicholas came home with sight words. You know, these list of sight words that you need to read from his reading uh-huh. teacher. She is now uh-huh. giving him 10 sight words and not 20, which was a huge improvement. Uh-huh. She was giving him the same two sentences that she gave to every other child in her care. And she gave the uh-huh. word saw. These are the sentences she gave for the word saw. It was, I saw a cat climb up a tree. And the second sentence was, I saw a man rob a bank. Mm -hmm. And I listened to my son read the sentence. And this is what he read. You've got to hear all of the stuttering that goes on in his mind. "I, I saw a cat. No, he said. I was a cat. No. I saw a cat and I asked a cat and then he handed me the paper. It took me a little while to work out what was going on. But what's happening is the word saw has three meanings. Mm. It means saw, it means to cut and it means to look. The only meaning Nicholas has for that word is the concrete one to cut. So when he read, I saw a cat, he's either got a mm. saw out or he's cutting the cat in half. Mm, mm. And then he tried every combination to try and make sense because he's searching for meaning by juggling the letters and he couldn't come mm-hmm. up with anything else. Now, this is when I got upset. In Brisbane, Australia, where we live, there are thousands of birds around where we are. There are bats. There are possums. There are dogs. There are no cats. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's number one. Number two was that our family had just spent six months in another country seeing every castle, museum, ship, whatever else we could have seen. And she could not personalise her instruction to show the child how the written language works. Mm-hmm. And this is the, the combination of, yes, the child is dumb, this really bad teaching going on, and when you put those two together, how easy it is to put the child in the too hard basket rather than reflecting on how is the teaching falling short. Mm -hmm, Because if I had not interfered, they would have said, Mrs. Letchford, your child is just too slow. Yes, yes. Well, we need to um, take a break right now, but this is a good spot to do that. My guest is Lois Letchford. Her book is called Reversed, a Memoir. And when we come back, we'll hear more of this journey and... um, A spoiler alert, he winds up getting a doctorate from Oxford. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? 
call the Terrorism Hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking about from slow learner to Oxford PhD, the story of Nicholas Letchford, as told by his mother, Lois Letchford, our guest today. Um, I'm sure a lot of you can relate to this, uh, whether it's in regard to your own children or children you knew or and whether it's in regard to dyslexia or some other kind of learning disability or special needs. I mean, it really is sad how um, the education system is, um, you know, because teacher, there are so many students per class and teachers um, are underpaid and a whole bunch of other reasons and just lack of patience. Um, we are, they are ready to, too ready to, um, label kids and, um, not find the way to their brain and the way to, uh, the way they need to learn. But fortunately for Nicholas, he had a mother who took over this teaching job and actually got him to find learning as fun. So we were, we left you, um, what you were talking about his now he's back in Australia in second grade, and um, the the person who was testing you know I sometimes it, <laughs> the people who test these kids um, it almost seems like they have uh, <laughs> it's easier for them to say you know that the kids that there's no hope rather than go through the more difficult process of trying to figure out how to reach each kid. Totally agree. Totally agree. And finding their strengths. Mm-hmm. And finding what they can do as opposed to just they can't. Anyway, yes. That's so a whole take up the ball story. Game. So continue. What so it was the reading teacher who was teaching Nicholas one-on-one who sent home the sight word sentences with I saw a cat. And that uh-huh. really upset me because, you know, you're teaching a child one-on-one. It should have been able to be personalized or it should have been personalized mm-hmm. for him and talked mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. So once I had the combination of the worst child I've seen in 20 years of teaching and I saw a cat, I really monitored all of his learning from home. So he would go to school and I would do little things at home that would help him learn in the classroom. And it wasn't long after learning all these sight words in a way that he could learn that he started to read independently and I could take a breath. And what Uh I did was I, again, I had so much fun teaching him. And that was my driver. These words are coming up. Mm -hmm. How will I do it in a way that he will come home and say, yes, this is worth my effort. Because, uh-huh. you know, sending these children to school when they're, you know, exhausted and they're terrified, asking them to come home and do some work is a huge effort. Right. And that's, you know, tutoring after school I don't think is the answer. Because it's got to be done in the classroom, in school. And so I had to find ways that always fun. And I did. 
Uh-huh. So, so continue the story. <laughs> continue. Do you want to tell me what, do you want me to tell you what I did? My classic one? Yes. I come, the words would, could and should were coming up. So, I got a shoebox. And I've got on the front of a shoebox what should be in this bottle, box, what could be in this box and what would you like to find in it. And then it's like a test because I gave them three choices. What should be in this box? Should it be shoes? Should it be an elephant? Should it be something else? What could be in this box? Could it be um, a key? Could it be a book? Or could it be something else? And when they're doing that, the child actually has to think about what should be in it, what could be in it, and what would they like to find in it. That's the first step. And then they open the box and there's more boxes and uh-huh. a bottle wrapped in bubble wrap. And in the bottle, on the bottle, there's a note and it says, you should read the note before you answer the questions. And so, and the note is underneath this letter. Or the, the letter's under the note. So you open it and the It's a bottle of obviously juice with no label on it and it's a letter from the zoo saying, Dear Mrs. Letchford, please find the enclosed sample. The elephants were most uncooperative in providing the sample (laughs) requested. It took three of our most experienced handlers and lots of water to pee into the bottle provided and let it go on a bit. (laughs) So the child then has to think, you know, you've got this letter saying, what is in this bottle? What could it be? What should it be and what would it like? What would you like to find in it? And uh-huh. now I've got my students and they leave my presence knowing three words, knowing the meaning of three words and knowing they had to always search for meaning. And they never forget that lesson. And if you watch me mm-hmm. as I talk, that's the first, that's what I do for my, um, in my seminars, workshops. I show them how this is so important about mm-hmm. um, tapping into a child's memory and tapping into their curiosity and having them become active readers the moment they are with me. Uh-huh. That, okay. Yeah, so that was so critical. Yes. So that, I mean, it's great that you were seem to be having as much fun as he was in learning. I'm sure that that helped him learn, too, when he saw, you know, that you were making such a different... Um, environment for him and, and uh, as compared to the teachers. Um, one thing, and I don't know, if, if you don't feel comfortable answering this, it's okay, but I would, it would seem to me that any child um, who went through what you have so far described, um, not your part, not your teaching part, but all of the things at school, um, that they would have, and his ear infections, that they would have some psychological issues as well, uh, feeling insecure, feeling low self-esteem, feeling like a failure, feeling, you know, um, like I'm not going to amount to much, that kind of thing. So did you give him um, psychotherapy? I'm not you, but did you send him for psychotherapy? No, I didn't at the time, but I should have, and I think it's something we still have to do because when I talked to him last year and my son is crying over these early years and saying, you know, well, I couldn't do anything when I was a kid. We will need to do something because the impact is lifelong. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, and this so is why I was so delighted to, to talk to you because my son learned to read. What would have happened to him if we ha- I had not had my experiences? Oh, it makes me shudder, the thought of it. Yeah, yes, yes. So, um, yes, I mean, the sooner the better, it, but it's, not, it's never too late, but the sooner the better in terms of therapy. Um, it's funny, I, I, looked, I was watch, looking at your website and watching the videos, and, um, and I didn't know the I mean, I knew I knew the basic, um, having these learning difficulties and so on, and um, you know, you teaching him and and uh, and his being graduated from Oxford. But um, so when I when I saw him in the video, 
I did have a feeling that there was something um, bothering him, I guess I can say, um, that, you know, he was very proud of himself that to get a, a doctorate from Oxford is a big deal <laughs> for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but it did seem as though there was like a little cloud. There was a big cloud at that time that video was made. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. as as you will know, Nicholas is extreme. His testing shows, you know, anything to do with mathematics and science places him on the 80th and the 90th and even the 99th percentile. Anything to do with language places him in the bottom 10th and the bottom 5th percentile. So mm. even in the working world, it's a struggle. Things like, Nicholas, will you take the notes for this meeting? And then there's an immediate panic because you're asking him to do his weakness, not his strength. Uh-huh. And at the time, he'd just, um, you know, he'd just resigned from a job that was really so traumatic. You know, it's a repetition of first grade again. So he resigned uh-huh. rather than be sacked or told not to get, you know, wasn't going to be reemployed because that was so, you know, so traumatic. And I think it came out in that day. If you you would notice it, uh-huh. I think the more knowledge you have and the more experience you have, you see the struggle that these children have. Uh huh. So you know, when was life he life graduated? Visit. Sorry, when? When was he graduated? May two thousand and eighteen. So what has he been doing since? And so he's living in England. And in, in he's st- yes. He's still living in England. He actually took time off after that job to finish up a master's degree in health economics. And that mm. was very good. And, and, you know, he's also married. And his mm. wife was, her PhD is in Scotland. So, you know, at least they were together and they lived in Scotland for a while. And now he has a job in Oxford with doing health economics, mathematical modeling and health economics. Don't ask me anymore. I don't know. <laughs> but he's really enjoying well, his job. That sounds good, yeah. Yeah. Um, and his wife did recently talk to him about, you know, something in third grade and he he just said to her, well, I wasn't good at anything. I wasn't good at anything. And that just kills you as a little, eight, you know, someone saying that about when they were seven and eight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I work with students like Nicholas, um, and the story continues, and that's where my I really got in. After I had this struggle and I could see what had to be done to teach these children, I got my reading certification. Uh-huh. And so that was a big deal. That really, that was enormous. And then another unexpected yeah. thing happened, and that was my husband took a job in a place called Lubbock, Texas. <laughs> do, you, yes. do you know where Lubbock is? Well, <laughs> I know where Texas is. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is West Texas. We left beautiful, uh-huh. green, sunny, bright Brisbane, green and blue, to go to this place that is dominantly brown. Uh-huh. And, fl- uh-huh. Uh-huh. and it was the second move that allowed Nicholas to go from the bottom to the top. In this place, and the title of my chapter in this one is A Spring in the Desert. And what's interesting here was if we had stayed in Australia, they they said to us, you know, Nicholas is doing really well. He's in the fifth grade. He's two years behind in his reading, but he's improving. He's behind in his writing, but he's improving. Nicholas has exceeded expectations. He's doing really well. And we're over uh-huh. the moon with him. And that would have been the end of the story. And, and also, sorry, mm. he's reading 20 minutes. Everyone's happy with him. We moved uh-huh. to Lubbock, Texas, and there's another step that no one saw in Nicholas and was Nicholas's discipline to learn. And that was part of the reason he went from the bottom to the top. So I'm sorry, Nicholas. Nicholas being disciplined. Did you say to learn? 
Yes. Discipline to learn. Do you know what that means? Uh-huh. Well, in Australia, I, I imagine it doesn't yeah. mean being made to sit in the corner. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Nicholas, they told us in Texas they had a reading program called the Accelerator Reading Program. And uh-huh. Nicholas came home and he said, I have to read a book and take a test. Nicholas went to his room at 7 p.m. at night and at 9 o'clock that night, I'm at his door saying, Nicholas, it's time to go to bed. You've got school in the morning. He started to read for two hours a night, five and six and seven nights a week. Hmm. Now, that's, that's what I mean by so disciplined about doing his reading. If you're behind in something and you've got to get better, what have you got to do? You've right. got to do it. And so what that, was that it? Was, what was it in Lubeck, Texas, that got him motivated to do that? What was different in that school? This is another amazing fact. We arrive at the school and say to the principal, Nicholas has had problems, he's in the fifth grade, and he's behind, he's two years behind. And the principal said to us, I think he should repeat. I think he should go back into fourth grade. My husband Mm -hmm. raised his eyes and said, hmm, won't he be old when he graduates from high school? And she said, hmm, yes, he will be old. (laughs) We have a class in middle school that allows these children who were behind to do grade seven up to nine in two years. The class, I mean, the school system was flexible because that's exactly what happened. Nicholas repeated fourth grade gap between his learning and the classroom learning was reduced and he did grade seven, eight and nine in two years. He graduated with his peers in high school in the top oh, 20% wow. of his class. Wow. That's an unexpected hmm. part, isn't it? Yes. I mean, also, there were, I, I, besides the, the teaching that was better, I would imagine there maybe was some peer pressure, like maybe he felt more competitive in Texas. I don't think Nicholas um, takes to peer pressure at all. But one of the things that happened was because he's Australian and talks with an accent, children were talking to him and he had to respond. When he was in Australia, he's like everyone else and no one talked to him and he rarely Mm. talked to anyone other than in the classroom. Mm. In Texas, he was required to talk. If you've got a problem, you've got to get better, what have you got to do? You've got to practice. Mm -hmm. And that was a component. Yeah. And he isn't so far behind, so the teaching was more in his proximal zone of development. So he's taking more away from the classroom. He's doing exactly what they ask. And he's a model student. If you ask him to do Uh something, he does it. Uh Uh-huh. So... Well, we, yes. we need to take another break. We need to take another break. We we're we're um, going along this journey, very interesting journey, I might add. Um, <laughs> my guest is Lois Letchford. Her book is called Reversed, a Memoir. And uh, we're going to reverse in a minute. We'll be back. <laughs> so stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the Terrorism Hotline. 
And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Having a great time talking with Lois Westford in regard to the journey that she and her son, Nicholas, went on. Um, she rescued him, basically, from a <laughs> terrible fate at age seven, um, where he would have been considered lost to education, and instead he wound up getting a Ph.D. from Oxford. So um, we are now, we left the story in Lubbock, Texas, <laughs> um, you know, Besides all this education, all these educational, um, oh, additional things that have to be, be to ha- that had to have been done education-wise, um, I'm sure it wasn't easy for him. Although I'm sure it was interesting, but also adjusting to new schools and new places—Australia, England, Lubbock, Texas—that um, was no small feat either. So we left him in Texas um, doing seventh eighth and ninth in, the, in two years and then what yeah then he went on to high school and by the time he's high school he's now no longer a special education student he's a regular student and he had some wonderful teachers he had wonderful teachers all the way through his schooling year and it was in i think the 10th or 11th grade that his mathematics teacher saw his strength and she had him in the in the academic team and that was where he started to Zoom. He was awarded the Yes, I Can Award from Exceptional Children in 2007. Wow. And so, and he graduated in the Mm -hmm. top 20% of his class with maths and physics and taking out a number of um, class awards. So he worked really hard. And I remember one of the things we said when he got this Yes, I Can Award was that school is a mile race, Nicholas ran a marathon. If school were a mile, mm. Nicholas ran a marathon. So, yeah, and so Lubbock, Texas was a huge success for us. And then again, my husband moved. And in 2007, he took a job back in Tasmania, Australia, the little island off the bottom <laughs> of Australia. And Nicholas came with us and started in the engineering program. Now, Tasmania is a very small school, excellent teachers, small school. It suited Nicholas, and the engineering and the maths department worked together. So Nicholas is in engineering and doing more and more mathematics. And he kept slipping into mathematics. And so he does five and a half years of mathematics and engineering. In Australia, you don't have to do any common subjects when you go to to university or college. You go straight Uh into your... um, what do you call it? Major. Major. So, yes, five and a half years of mathematics and engineering. I mean, and then he got two honours degrees at the end of that. And, you know, what do you do? And I, my husband, the by, my husband didn't last that long in Australia. He had a three-year appointment and then came back to the US. So Nicholas and his younger brother in Australia on their own for two years. And during this time, Nicholas is studying and studying. And on his wall, he's got undergraduate thesis, PhD. And every time he woke up in the morning, that's what he had written for himself to see. And so you wonder what's going to happen. 
and then we get an email from him one day, there's um, PhD scholarship for Oxford and for Cambridge. The Oxford oh, in the wow. math department, Cambridge was in the engineering department. He applies for the Oxford huh. department and got a scholarship. <laughs> and you wow. might not know Oxford. Oxford and Cambridge, you have to go to a college as well as a department and usually you apply to a college. This scholarship came and said, this student will go to Christchurch College. And that's Mm -hmm. what happened. And Christchurch is one of the oldest colleges in Oxford and one of the wealthiest, and so that's what happened. And Nicholas went back there, and he took four years to do a PhD. We had some ups and downs, but he did it. He did it. So were you and or your husband in Oxford when he was in Oxford? That's what I would like to know. No, no Nicholas was independent. My children are like birds. You've got to let them go. <laughs> So, in other words, from the time that you you left um, Tasmania and left him there with his brother to uh, alone, and the same thing, then he went from there to Oxford alone. Yes. Yes. Um, Yes. I mean, was that hard for you after you had been so hands-on for so many earlier years of his schooling? Even though he was doing well, he didn't necessarily need you apparently he didn't <laughs> but was it hard for you to um to be you know a continent away most likely not as hard as it should have been <laughs> i i love to see my children independent and i love to see them fly and that's uh-huh. how i felt with nicholas my view i was concerned about oxford because a lot of the work in oxford is actually based on an oral performance. Mm. And, you know, Nicholas stood up every week with three professors and, you know, had to show his work and talk to them and argue with them and write equations on the board. And for a child who has significant language difficulties and auditory processing difficulties, that was a huge step. It was, you know, and I was worried about it for a time. And so was he. But, you know, in the end, he got support. He got sufficient support to get him through everything. He had additional tutoring, and he managed to do it. Well, that's amazing. That is really um, quite a, like you you were saying, a marathon, not just a mile. Um, Yes. And he and you are are obviously um, models, role models for an, an inspiration for families where there are children with learning disabilities uh, of various kinds. And so that is what, so presumably that is why you wrote your book, right? (laughs) To help other families with similar kinds of situations? Well, I might disagree with you. Oh, okay. We were privileged. I was a stay-at-home mum. I was putting in a huge amount of effort. If you have two parents working, you wouldn't be able to do what I did. My driver came from school, should have the knowledge that I have. Parents don't need the level of knowledge or shouldn't have to get the level of knowledge that I needed to teach Nicholas. Everything I did is in the academic literature and has been for many, many years. Everything I did to teach Nicholas to read is in the academic literature. I did nothing new. Yeah. I may have interpreted it new in different ways, and I came up with little games that were a little bit different, but everything is there, and that's what drove me to write my book. And then, in addition, in Lubbock, Texas, I met a, 13, a mother whose 13-year-old son was non-reading, and she said, Lois, you teach him to read, please. And I did. And the school district employed me to teach him to read. He was older than Nicholas, didn't have as many difficulties, but totally non-reading when I taught him. And so I was able to practice what I use with Nicholas with all these other children in the public school system. That's where the knowledge should be. So, okay, so let me make sure, and we're, we only have three minutes left, so let me make sure that I understand. Um, 
the reason why you wrote this book, I mean, I don't see how you couldn't say that it's, I would hope it was to be an inspiration for other kids and other parents and so on. But what you're saying is that it's not so much to teach, to get other parents to spend all the time that you had to spend, but rather to act, to make sure or to try to get this kind of teaching in the public schools? Is that it? You got it. You got it. You got it. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I mean, yes. I think that's a great, um, a great plan, a great idea. Uh, yes, of course, that should happen. And yes, unfortunately, it is true that these days with the economy, which of course is getting better, but still, um, you know, these, the way life is these days, most families do have uh, two working parents. But, but I would imagine also that, um, that maybe somebody, a parent, couldn't spend quite as much time as you did, but you're laying out ideas like the poem ideas and, and um, things like that could certainly help parents to spend whatever yes. time they do have to copy some of these things. Definitely, definitely. Parents certainly can use them and use all of the ideas in my stories in that book, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, now, um, in the little time we have left, tell us um, about your website and where you want people to go to buy the book. Well, if you go to my website, you will find my box lesson activity and other activities I've used with children who have struggled with reading. And my book is available on Amazon, and it's also available at independent bookstores. If you go to them and ask, they will, they will purchase it for you. Uh, but otherwise, it's available where all books are sold. And my website and is www. Yes. com. And on again. Twitter and Facebook. www.loisletchford.com and I'm on Twitter and Facebook and please follow me and if you've read a copy of my book please write a review (laughs) okay well that it sounds like a good plan and I do hope uh, and believe that you have inspired a lot of people who are listening to this Um, even just the idea even if their child doesn't have specifically a reading problem but just the idea they're so I I treat children as well as adults, and there are so many different kinds of problems that children have these days. And just the idea, the general idea of not giving up on your child, no matter what the teachers have to say, and fighting for better, um, better teaching in schools as well as doing some of it on your own. I mean, a lot of parents um, are, feel, some parents are afraid that they can't do it on their own, but really... <laughs> First of all, I suggest that you read the book if you're one of those parents who are afraid to, to try on your own. And second of all, so much just from, just from showing your child that you have confidence in them, that they can do it, whatever the problem is, they can do it even if it takes a little bit longer. So Lois, thank yes. you so much um, for uh, sharing your story with us. And again, the book is called Reversed, a Memoir. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 